1: Welcome to the Big Blue Big Board Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Chris Flump. Chris, how are you doing this morning? I'm in about a little after midnight now, uh, after the first round. <laughs> how are you hanging in there, Chris? Uh, you know, tired, headache, confused, sad. <laughs> All right, I, so I... Let's, <laughs> let's jump in. The Giants made three... Three first round picks on Thursday night. We are going to dive into all of them relatively quickly. We hope we'll come back and and dig a little deeper into these guys and we'll be writing about it on Big Review for the next couple days. But let's just get our immediate reactions to what happened on Thursday night. And of course, that all has to start with the sixth overall pick, Duke quarterback Daniel Jones. So if you have been listening to this podcast for any amount of time since this has been a podcast, you probably know our feelings on Daniel Jones as a player. I will. We say, are not fans. Yeah, I will say conservatively, we are not fans of his game. But I think one positive thing, if we want to start there, the question about the Giants drafting a quarterback—if they liked a quarterback—if they would. Pass up a quarterback at six and potentially wait until 17 for that guy. I think the the correct argument was, if you like that guy, you believe he's your guy. Take him at six. Do not let the chance of him not being there at 17 if he is the guy you like. Don't make that risk. It's unnecessary. So on the plus side, they did that. They drafted the quarterback they liked so that part of the process I agree with the second part of the process with the quarterback being Daniel Jones is I'll say uh not something that I think many giant fans agree with that is appears to be the case so let's let's just dive into Daniel Jones as a player, I think very quickly because we have talked about him a lot. the thing that you know makes him I guess worthy of being this pick to the Giants is the David Cutcliffe connection with Eli and Peyton Manning. If that matters, he is uh, tall. He looks like a quarterback. And then I think that's kind of where the pros stop. If you look at his numbers, you watch him on film at all, he's not a very quick processor, even though he does do well in the quick game. I don't think he processes very well. When you look at what he had to do at Duke, he was not very accurate. A lot of it was short throws. I think you look, only 42% of his yards came through the air at Duke last year. That's one of the lowest rates in this class that even Dwayne Haskins who was in a short run after the catch heavy offense was at 45.3 that's still pretty low but Daniel Jones was below that Uh, you look at his accuracy I've tweeted this out I put this in a post at Big Blue View his accuracy his on target percentage it was not good so He was about average from one to 10, which is where the majority of his throws come from. And that's probably where you're going to manufacture an offense around him. But once you get to the intermediate range in 11 to 20, it dips to one of the worst accuracy percentages in the class. And this is all per Sports Info Solutions. When you go to the deep passes 21 yards down the field or more, he's also one of the worst in this class there. So I just, I don't know where this upside comes from at all. Yeah, I
2: I don't really see it at all either. You know, just sticking with the numbers, Bill Connolly for SB Nation did a preview of the quarterbacks, and he basically said you can, based on the available data that we have, you can pretty much predict that a quarterback's college metrics are their ceiling for their pro career Daniel Jones had the worst yards per completion the second worst adjusted net yards per attempt the third worst passer rating he had the worst efficiency rating and the the third worst success rating of the quarterbacks that Conley profiled that is very worrying yeah, I'm not going to say that Daniel Jones can't be a success because the, the Giants drafted him to be their future franchise quarterback. I when you take a quarterback at 6th overall, that is what you are drafting him for. But they are betting that a he was extremely handicapped by the players that surrounded him at Duke. Basically, his teammates at Duke were completely and utterly incompetent. But also, they are betting that he is just an extreme outlier and the only quarterback in recent history who will exceed his college ceiling in the NFL when the game is faster. He's going to be asked to process so much more. I, I believe north of 90% of his throws in college were one read, either a single passing concept like a smash concept where you just read the cornerback and it just goes throw him wrong if he covers a deep route you throw the short route if you if he covers the short route you throw the deep route or an rpo where if a defensive player comes down to defend the run play you throw the pass these are just basically quick predetermined reads that he was asked to do on 90 percent of his plays you know, even in Pat Shermer's offense, he's going to be asked to read the whole field. He's going to be asked to, before the snap, to cipher coverage and figure out whether or not it's going to be man or zone coverage. And then a lot of the times the way the Giants offense works is they would run a man beater on one side and a zone beater on the other. And the quarterback was would just throw to whichever concept countered the defense that was being run. Well, Jones isn't going to be told what to throw by a giant sign before the snap so he has to do a lot more just mentally and that's not even leaving aside the fact that he does not have a great arm arm strength isn't the greatest indicator of future success but it's not unimportant either you still have to be able to throw outside the numbers you still have to be able to place the ball where the receivers can make a play on it and hopefully set them up for yards after the catch down the field. And I'm just saying more than 10 or 15 yards down the field
1: yeah it's crazy because so much of that duke offense was relying on on these short passes Uh, on the post i wrote for big View about what the Giants should look at at their quarterbacks and and some of the things that matter i looked at the percentage of throws that were within 10 yards from the line of scrimmage daniel jones threw 74.5 percent of his passes last year within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage that was one of the highest rates in this draft class so then what I did was look at the top quarterbacks in expected points added in the NFL. I looked at the top 10. They averaged around 70% of their throws within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. But what I found from those 10 quarterbacks who were, you know, by expected points added, the best quarterbacks in the league last year, even though 70% of their throws happened in that area... Almost all of their value came from throws past 10 yards, past the line of scrimmage, and that's where Jones really struggles. He's not a good intermediate thrower. He is a terrible deep thrower. He has better accuracy than his actual statistics were at Duke because the supporting cast was bad that is true people are going to use that as something to say about Daniel Jones to kind of defend him but two things can be true his supporting cast could have been god-awful and he also could have been bad both of those things were true he didn't get any help from that supporting cast but he also was not good say don't
2: we kind of want the quarterback to elevate his supporting cast if Daniel Jones is being compared to a Manning. Isn't that what you expect from
1: them? Yeah, I think a lot of it was from drops. I don't think he was particularly good in leading receivers or throwing them open either. And that's part of it. And I wrote one of the other things I wrote that the third section of what I thought the Giants should look for is someone who can transcend the scheme. And Daniel Jones is is not that. He's going to be very scheme dependent. He is going to take what is given at best he has some athleticism. I mean he you look at his game against North Carolina where he ran for like a hundred seventy yards he kind of put the team on his back there, but like that, is not a sustainable way <laughs> to continue to win and he doesn't have athleticism that is going to allow that to happen in the NFL. You talk about him being an outlier with some of, of Bill Connelly's statistics and and success rate and I very much agree with the idea that your college performance is your NFL ceiling. And when you look at what the Connelly wrote, none of the quarterbacks he has looked at over the past, you know, couple years, however far back his data goes no quarterback has topped their college production in the nfl and jones had terrible college production you can try to write that off because of the supporting cast but when it is in that big of a sample that quarterbacks do not just get better in the nfl you know that that is a concern we talk about outliers daniel jones being good at the nfl level would make him a bigger outlier than kyler murray is going to be and that is that's quite a risk at number six it's questionable decision making it's questionable scouting and who oh, i guess we can get into that part real quick because <laughs> dave gettleman we have a little bit of what he said he's i think he's speaking while we're recording right now his post first round press conference he is speaking now while we record two bits we've gotten so far he had daniel jones and linebacker josh allen uh, who was on the board also we can say ed oliver was on on the board when the Giants were up at six. You would have thought a couple weeks ago there was either one no way Josh Allen and and Oliver would be on the board for the Giants. Also, you would think if either one of them were, the Giants would sprint up and make one of them their pick. So Gettleman revealed in his... The press conference he had the same grade on Daniel Jones and Josh Allen uh, which that's quite questionable and then we get back to when Gettleman started really feeling the way he did about Daniel Jones and let's see Gettleman says he fell in love with Daniel Jones at the senior bowl and this is a quote after the three series I watched three series Okay. After the three series I watched, I saw a professional quarterback. So that's when I was in full-blown love. That is terrible process. I don't care how good the quarterback is. I don't care if you were watching Patrick Mahomes for three series. That, that, that is terrible, terrible process. And that's where the Giants are at their quarterback right now.
2: Yeah, you know, skip right past Mahomes. I don't care if you're watching Andrew Luck or Peyton Manning for three series. You need more than three series. You need, or if you're making a decision about the most important position in sports, you need to watch as much tape as you can get your hands on. Not a quarter of one game. I'm sorry, not a quarter of an all-star game in which the defense is being heavily heavily constricted that's one thing that doesn't get talked about with the senior bowl is the defense is basically not allowed to blitz they're basically locked into a four three cover two defense the offense knows exactly what they're getting pick three
1: series from that game to fall in love really okay So, uh, is he talking about the Senior Bowl game, which he probably wasn't even at because everyone leaves before the game, or was he talking about the practices, which might be... Even more suspect, because remember, we talked to Mark Schofield right after the Senior Bowl, and Daniel Jones had a rough week of practices. He was pretty bad in the outdoor early in the week, and then they had that indoor practices the day it rained. And Jones was terrible. He threw two picks, one on a flat route to Nasir Adderley. So I'm not totally sure what Gettleman was watching, because every report we had from Senior Bowl week of practices... When most of the people are paying attention, is that Jones had a pretty rough week. He ended up being Senior Bowl MVP in the actual game. And this is, again, the third year in a row now that the Giants have drafted the Senior Bowl MVP. Yeah. And I'll just say, I
2: tweeted this out before we started recording. If the Giants wanted a six foot five Senior Bowl MVP, they could have just hung on to Davis Webb and drafted Deshaun Hand or Shaquille Griffin last year in the fourth round rather than taking Kyle Walletta. And they could have taken Josh Allen or Ed Oliver this
1: year. I'm just saying. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, Gettleman has said that these picks don't happen in a vacuum. And that is true sometimes feels like Gettleman's picks and all of his moves do happen in a vacuum but I think you have to now think of this it's in the Dave Gettleman era the two big first round picks are now a running back and I mean again as good as Saquon Barkley is you can question the value of a running back and now Daniel Jones so that's that's what they're potentially setting up the next few years of the Giants are those two picks. And man, when you think like... uh... We can go back and think if it could have been a quarterback last year, and almost any other running back this year. Is that a better option? I think that's possible. That's something I think we have to think and talk about uh, a little more. So the draft got off to uh, quite a start there. I think it was it was pretty chalky until that point, and then we had the Daniel Jones pick at number six. Of course, the Giants had the their second first round pick at number 17 because of the odell beckham trade and if daniel jones was a very dave gettleman pick the 17th pick was the most dave (laughs) gettleman pick Uh, i would say
2: how much more dave gettleman pick could this have been and the answer is none more dave gettleman really
1: yeah so a a 340 pound nose tackle that would be Dexter Lawrence from Clemson I think I have talked about Lawrence I am not super high on him because he is the prototypical big nose tackle who defends the run fairly well does not give as much pass rush as you would like from the interior for the modern NFL game but this is Dave Gettleman does not exactly believe in the modern nfl game he is very much a run the ball stop the run a type of guy so lawrence is not a very surprising pick uh, in the middle of the first round
2: no i in a vacuum for what he does i like dexter lawrence as a player yeah he is a very athletic big man he moves better than you would expect a 340 pound tackle to do however the giants already have Dalvin Tomlinson, who is, who was about as good a nose tackle as you could ask for, other than Damon Harrison, who they traded away. Yeah, you know, n- Nobody is in Snacks' class. It is extremely unlikely that Dexter Lawrence will be in Snacks' class. So I just don't get adding another nose tackle because B.J. Hill has experience at nose tackle. He isn't as big, but he is a very powerful player. And he actually does give you some one-gap
1: penetration ability. Yeah, and I, I think the the Damon Harrison thing is... It, it kind of makes sense for for Dexter Lawrence to be worth this pick. I think he has to be a Damon Harrison because he does not give you enough from the passing game. He had a, a decent pressure rate, actually, per Sports Info Solutions. But when you I think when you look at him, it's a lot of just being a gigantic human that causes that. And I don't think that's going to play as well in the NFL. And then you look at some of his uh, his production numbers. For a gigantic run-stuffer, he did not stuff the run very often. He only had 13 run-stuffs last year. And that is you know below Ed Oliver, who had 17 and a half. That's below Christian Wilkins. On the same Clemson defensive line, who had 16 and a half. Jerry Tillery had... 12 and a half, who went a little later but has more pass rush upside. A guy like Quinn and Williams had 25 run stuffs. So, obviously, no one was expecting Dexter Lawrence to be Quinn and Williams, but for a gigantic run stuffer, you would expect him to possibly stuff the run a little more, but he didn't. And so, I think that has to. Develop, I think the the pass rush has to develop for him to be worth this pick. I think it's just another one where Gettleman saw this gigantic human being, and that is what he likes in football players. I'm just not sure the positional value there, and of course he doesn't care about positional value either. But having a, a run-stuffing defensive tackle there, I just I I don't see how that helps.
2: No. The Giants really need a pass rush almost more than anything on their defense. Now, they also needed help in their secondary, which we'll get to with their next pick. But they have guys who are stout up front, but they really don't have anybody who is a proven pass rusher. Dexter Lawrence is, I'll say, unlikely to provide that. He is very athletic. He is a gigantic human being. But he also only had, I believe, four and a half sacks and about 10 tackles for a loss over the last two years put together. Right now, the the Giants' pass rush was responsible, without Olivier Vernon, was responsible for three-quarters of a sack a game when they weren't playing by far the worst offensive line in the league last year. And they've got him basically bypassed The best front seven pass rushing edge class we have seen in a long time.
1: Yeah, I think that was bigger at the sixth pick. But again, I think we have to take in the process. If they did like the QB, I think you take the QB. We just don't agree with the QB they took. Because by the time... The Giants were on the clock at 17. Josh Allen went to Jacksonville at 7 right after Giants picked, and that pass rush is going to be ridiculous. Rashawn Gary went 12th to Green Bay. Christian Wilkins went 13th to Miami. Brian Burns, who I would have liked, went the pick ahead of the Giants at 16 to Carolina. So when you kind of look at the options they had at the pass rush, I don't think they were totally there to match up at 17 either. But going with the big run stuffer, I'm not sure that value meshes there either.
2: Yeah, Montez Sweat was still on the board, and we did get the report earlier today that he was possibly, perhaps even likely, misdiagnosed at the NFL scouting combine. Now, the Giants are very averse to potential red flags, so maybe they just didn't have time to process that. They already had him off their board and just didn't have time to process the fact that maybe their medical report was wrong. They could have also looked at Jerry Tillery, who is still on the board. They could have looked at Jeffrey Simmons, who, granted, is coming back a torn ACL, but even half a season with him is better than nothing.
1: Yeah, I mean, Simmons has the injury, he has the, the off-field domestic violence incident, so I, he, a talented player. I'm okay with staying away from him, but yeah, at 17, they kind of they put themselves in a, you know, where they were was not exactly great for what they needed, even though they needed quite a bit. I mean, even like, Andre Dillard could have been, uh, I think, uh, a better pick there, even though he's only played left tackle. Uh, If you put him at maybe right tackle, you have someone to then fill in at left tackle. Once Nate Solder is done, he then goes to the Eagles now. And the Eagles, they already have a better backup left tackle than the Giants have a starting tackle so that's great for the NFC East so the, the 17th pick was was interesting given what had already gone before them probably what they were looking at and I'm I just I don't love Lawrence's value there I'm, I'm sure trading back was never an option it was more likely they were going to trade up which they did again later in the draft so the Giants ended up with three first round picks because they traded back up into the back end of the first round with the 30th overall pick they got that from seattle so in that trade they gave up the 37th pick so that's their pick in the second round the 132nd pick which was a pick in the fourth round which was their second pick in the fourth round and the 142nd pick which was their second pick in the fifth round not huge amount to give up per the chase stewart approximate value chart it's about 140 percent of the 30th pick so i mean they did pay a premium in the you know the amount of picks not huge to give up they still have a third a fourth two fifths six and two sevenths which i'm sure they'll probably use again to trade up um so when the giants went back into the first round the 30th overall they took deandre baker a cornerback from georgia i am split on this between liking deandre baker as a player and not liking the process of trading those picks to move up for him especially when he was going to be the first cornerback taken i do like deandre baker i do not like deandre baker more than greedy williams or byron murphy apparently the giants very clearly do deandre baker was the only cornerback taken in the first round so now they'll be without a second pick i mean we talked about how they needed a cornerback i've made the case for a while i think they should have taken a cornerback in the first round and hit edge often later in the draft because i think they'll be better there. And if you can have the coverage to hold up, that makes the edge rushing easier than the pass rushing makes it easier to cover. I think we saw that a lot last year. I just, I don't necessarily agree with trading up to get that, especially when either Baker still could have been there at 37, Greedy Williams or Byron Murphy could still be there at 37. So I think that's an unnecessary use of assets to trade up. So now I can see the Giants are still probably going to use those picks i can guarantee they're not waiting until 96 to pick on day two there's no way they're they're trading up somewhere and then that's when you start cutting into those assets i would have been fine with two first round picks that second round pick and then using those fourth and fifths to move into the third and and taking some shots there, taking some shots in the second. I think it's a little unnecessary to get into the end of the first round to get another first round pick. But if we go to Baker, I do like him as a prospect. He's a little undersized compared to some of the other guys. I think he's about 5'11", but he was he was fairly good at Georgia. Two interceptions, nine pass breakups per Sports Info Solutions, 43 targets, 44.2% completion rate allowed last year, which was one of the better marks among this cornerback class, and only 4.09 yards per target allowed, which was the fourth best among this cornerback class. So Baker is a good cornerback. It is good that they got him i just don't necessarily agree with the process they use to get him
2: yeah baker is a good cornerback you know he's he's versatile he has quick feet he's got loose hips he can play in manner zone coverage he is not afraid to hit and is not afraid to hit hard enough to separate the receiver from the ball and i think the giants traded up hoping they were getting 2017 deandre baker when he was a legitimate shutdown corner like nobody passed on him in 2017 uh deandre baker was targeted 19 times he gave up five completions while
1: breaking up six passes which is pretty damn good <laughs> Yeah, I mean, one to only be targeted 19 times is good, shows you're probably in good coverage to allow only 26% of those passes to be completed uh, is pretty good. So yeah, I, I like DeAndre Baker as a player. He did not test particularly well at the combine only in the ninth percentile per spark, the four five one forty—a little concerning, but it, it doesn't, you know, write this guy off. He still showed he can play. So I think of the three first-round picks, DeAndre Baker as the player is the player I would be most excited about for the Giants again what it dampens him a little bit is that they had to trade up for him they traded up some resources which probably means they're going to use more resources to trade up again which is just a, a whole Dave Gettleman circle here that I'm sure we'll see more of on day two and the fact that Baker was taken over Greedy Williams and Byron Murphy just two cornerbacks I happen to like more than DeAndre Baker although I do like DeAndre Baker so that that is good if we're looking at the Giants draft in reverse order yeah still not happy with it's going to take a lot for me to be happy with Daniel
2: Jones as a first round pick we had him rated as a third round pick on our big board I was lower than that but I suppose he does deserve a chance to prove us wrong I well at the very least he's going to get a chance to prove us wrong I'm just not terribly optimistic that he's going to be able to follow through on
1: that. I guess he is going to get a chance when that chance is going to be. We're not sure as we see more Gettleman quotes coming in that the the pick of Daniel Jones does not mean Eli is done after 2019. He could possibly be on the Green Bay plan, which sees him sit for three more years. So, whew. We're going to have some interesting things to break down as uh, as we really get further into analyzing this draft class. So we are going to end this here. Just some quick thoughts on the Giants' three first-round picks. The Giants now aren't scheduled to pick on day two until... Pick 96 in the third round, which is all the way at the end. I highly doubt they're going to wait until that pick to to make their first pick on day two. So I would expect another trade up, uh, probably with with those extra fourths and fifths, if, if they can. So oh, we're going to be uh, writing up some of these picks on Big Blue View. We're going to have a lot of coverage there. We'll be back with some podcasts. We're figuring out how we want to break down these podcasts uh, for the remainder of the draft, but we will be back. So you can find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review if you have not. It helps us out greatly. Read our work on BigBlueView.com. Follow Big Blue View on Twitter at BigBlueView. Follow me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. You can follow Chris on Twitter at RaptorMK. I thank you guys for listening and we will talk to you again soon.